Hello and welcome to the Men on Mission podcast. Today's guest, Brad McDonald, a, a gentleman that I've met nearly 12 years ago uh, through CrossFit Brisbane. I used to train there and coach there and Brad was an avid 5am <laughs> member before the sun came up, doing CrossFit in the dark, being an early frother and adopter. And um, a few years ago, well, years later, we reconnected again through jiu-jitsu at uh, where we both train now at Southside. And Brad's also a podcaster himself and runs Between Stories podcast. And that'll be coming out later this year. So stay tuned for that. But for now, Brad McDonald. Thank you. Yeah. So what's been going on, brother? Oh, it's all happening. Transitioning between stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell me more about this. So what is it that brings you to running a podcast around that what's the idea uh it's a good question um oh, i just i just feel like we're always in between stories um and at the at where i'm presently at uh, i'm sort of moving into that next stage of or that second adulthood of getting into my 40s um so life and life's changing a lot um from a physical point of view from a psychological point of view and everything around me is changing as well. So, yeah, just just sort of talking to those things and being involved with men's work um, and also transitioning out of relationship. So, a lot of those things sort of impact a lot of men. Mm-hmm. So, it's almost sharing that journey with other men and how am, I, how am I transitioning through those stages of life because we just don't talk about them. And it, and there's a, there's a lot of spaces in the men's work at the moment that, oh, it's the warrior this and, you know, you know but I think, we've just got to honor that eldership part of it as well um and that's just talking to people that have transitioned through those let's call it midlife um you know that second passage or that middle passage um which i don't think is you know talked about a lot so it's just my an opportunity to talk and and to learn as well Mm. and to be able to see how other men have done it because I've got some great connections with some uh, mentors in the men's work space that necessarily don't have the platforms to actually talk about it like like we can. Mm. Um, so it's nice to be able to share that and just being coming from the construction industry and sales and in leadership roles, you see a lot of guys just struggling and it, they're wearing the same personas and masks they have since their 20s and 30s and talking the same shit and snorting the same coke and sleeping with this you know sleeping with all these women it's just like oh that shit's got to stop mm. um and i've been through all that myself so it's just like well there's another way um it's not the only way but it's just another way yeah i remember for me and that was me in 2018 when i shot gold coast weightlifting club that was like a death that's what it felt like it was a, a death in my life it was this transition that I'd never thought I was going to have to deal with or, or do. It's to me as a, as a younger man at the time, I felt like I'd failed. And mm. what I realize now with the power of men's work and having real mentors is that everything has a start and finish. There is yeah. transitions in life and not everything is forever. And yeah. knowing that before you even start is yeah. a good way to sort of, understand yourself and the world yeah that grief that grief's a huge part and so far grief's been my biggest teacher and like you've just said you've you probably learned more out of that the dying of the business than you would have you know if it went for 20 years um 
and just plodded along instead of having this everything everything has a birth and death that's just a natural law um and we're no different and business is no different as well too so yeah grief's been um grief's been a big teacher my uh, granddad passed two years ago and watched him watched him pass and take his last breath and i think that taught me more about if you don't deal with your shit Mm. it's going to pop up the ego is going to try and hang on and the mind's going to try and hang on right to the end i see that i see that a lot in men that they're so afraid of change Mm. but it's it's the same as being a gardener like i'm glad i've had lots of jobs in my life (laughs) because i've learned that you've got to cut back the tree for it to sprout new branches and sometimes that creative destruction is a good thing it's like i want it to die it needs to die so something else can take its place in my life yeah you know yeah we're not really uh, those experiences aren't as i said before those experiences aren't really shared um like everyone sort of keeps them to themselves and you not until you sort of sit in a circle with other men or other people and you start going, oh oh that's oh that's me oh that's me and it's like i've been there i've seen that i remember doing that or oh i'm really resisting this right now and this person's gone through exactly what i'm (laughs) or he's triggering the fuck out of me (laughs) (laughs) or he why did he have it so easy He, he just breezed through that transition you know and yeah for me even moving from brisbane to the gold coast back in 2011 it felt huge and it's like it's an hour away it's it's a couple of suburbs difference it feels like now yeah and it's the seasons of it's seasons of life yeah i think growing up on the gold coast you don't really have seasons you've just it's just one big summer you know like it's a little bit cold during the winter a few fresh nights but majority of the time everything's just beautiful and sunny and it's like it's almost a metaphor for life like you've got to have that winter and you, you know out of that winter is going to come a spring and then once that spring starts you know that comes the summer and then oh boom you know autumn so i, I think we're, we're really shut off from a lot of that seasonal stuff and, mm. and i think tapping in getting back into nature really really i think nature's been a great teacher as well grief and nature you know that, that can teach you everything what was it like for you prior to that as far as your relationship to grief? Yeah, it was pretty isolated. Um, it was you know, pretty secular from the rest of my life. Um, just uh, probably three months before that, um, Melissa, my partner at the time, her mother passed. And that was, you know, that was through that whole cancer, breast cancer. And that was by the time she found out she had a second stage of it, she had three months um and that was really my first sort of closeness to to grief and then that followed up when my granddad three months later it was just like oh it's like a double hit um so yeah i was pretty isolated from it and i think that's from a cultural point of view too we're we're really we're not from a young age we're like put into the back room oh it's just grief everyone sees this um you know, reaction to grief and an outward expression of grief, but don't actually embody that whole grief process from the beginning. And and it just it's a gift that keeps on giving. You know, <laughs> it doesn't ever not at the time, <laughs> not at the time, not at the time. It, do, it definitely hasn't felt like that. But you know, as I said earlier, like the one thing that I saw in my granddad was yeah, he wanted to hang on to his life. You know, he, he still felt at 97, still had, yeah, it's huge. 
you know, and he is what he saw from his life from, you know, going from World War Two to all these different experiences and then, you know, still being technology savvy at in his nineties, sending emails and, you know, being on Facebook and stuff like that. You know, he saw so much in his life and still at the end of it, but really wasn't you know, wasn't had any spiritual um, connections to himself or to, from what I could experience with him. Um, and he carried a lot of pain and grief like through his life, traveling through a world war, a lot of those generational men did, you know, and they, they didn't talk about it at all. Oh, no. And they buried that fucking deep down. Yeah, because does that make him... He would have been part of the silent generation, right? Yeah. Of men being that age, I think, because I speak to that... You know, my listeners know this. It's like the silent generation brought up the boomers and the silent generation was basically shut up, be quiet, don't speak, yeah. be be seen, not heard. And then a lot of our parents are the kinds of people that don't really help us model how to express ourselves. It's like we're that generation learning how do we do all this because yeah. it wasn't modeled to us. Nah. You know, like for so many of the men out there right now listening, it's like when was the last time you saw your dad cry? Yeah. Or men cry in general, and it's so shut down. And, it's, and if it's so shut down, then where does it go? Yeah, totally. That reminds me of um, it's, it's, it's. Uh, I was, I don't know what got me onto it. I was reading Wild at Heart by John Efferaljuj or something like that um, the other night, and he was talking about Goodwill Hunting. You know that scene in Goodwill Hunting. So I don't know what made me do it. So I just jumped on YouTube, and and that scene where Robin Williams. Um, is talking to Matt Damon about it's not your fault after he you know he got abused by his father and stuff like the stepfather and that and that just that got me you know like I've seen that a thousand times before but it's like oh yeah it, it's actually not our fault but we've got to take responsibility for that part that we were in that play from a karmic point of view like it's ours for a reason and it's probably our journey to f- not find out what that reason is but just have a look a bit deeper at what that karmic thing is for you in that in that responsibility piece. Absolutely, because I think about it, I, I look at it through the drama triangle. So the victim, you know, there's so much in my life, one of my strongest, or one of my strong points that I learned through Landmark Education was that is one of my strong suits is being strong. I've got to be strong. And I'd learned that from a really young age. And then inside of that, it's, I could never be the victim However, I act out the victim a lot in my <laughs> life. So, so for me, here I am being a victim and fighting against being the victim in my life when I was really young. I had things happen to me that were out of my control and I was my boundaries were crossed, a whole bunch of things happen. And I'm sure most of the listeners have the similar story of boundaries being crossed, not knowing how to speak to them, whatever it is, and feeling like a victim. The part that I never got was I just never accepted the fact that I actually was one. I mm. actually was a victim. Mm. And to actu- to have the vulnerability of that. And that's why I'm such a big you know, pusher of that vulnerability is not weakness. It's actually vulnerability is almost like the ownership. It's the antidote for victimhood. Yeah. And so in that, it makes me think, all right, knowing the drama triangle... The, the way to get out of being a victim is the creator. That's the light side of the victim. So what can I create here now moving forward rather than just staying stuck in the victim? Yeah. 
Yeah, the victim the victim thing is something that plays out pretty hard for me too. And that's you know, I've I've had some childhood things with my father as you know, he comes from that, that boomer generation where his his father, which is my granddad, was you know, from the war, uh, from World War Two as well and mate, he was he was a violent man. So that is a learnt behaviour from a generational DNA point of view, passed on to my father. And he doesn't, and it's so unconscious. And these words went around when my father was growing up, like in his 30s and 40s. Like uh, unconscious, you know, the subconscious, none of that was really spoken about in his fraternity of of friends. So we only got pizza in the 60s in Australia. (laughs) Like people forget where we've come from, like how basic it was 100 years ago to where it is now. And what our parents and grandparents grew up with it is wild yeah it's huge it's huge and and that victim would have been strong and and like and that was what was growing up you know my dad and i got into some physical altercations when i was like 14 and i bloody i shit my pants because that at that moment like i'd never felt that before and it was unprovoked and it was my father was drinking and stuff like that and I've spent a lot of my time just resolving that. That's that's been a lot of my you know men's work journey is you know processing in that and processing and processing in that and it's been a hell of a journey. But it's been a huge gift as well too because if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be able to be able to communicate with other men that have had similar similar things happen. But it's just a generational thing in their in their DNA and the opportunity I have is to stop that. Is that in me? Yeah, it is. Does that make me come from a victim sometimes? Yeah, I, I outsource. Sometimes I outsource my strength. Sometimes I outsource my, you know, feminine nature as well too to get a hit or get a feed, and that's a trauma bond that happens as well. And it's like, oh, all these things are going on. It's like you can, you can name them, but when you're in those moments, and the body's taking over, and the the emotional body's taking over. It's, it's click, it's done. It's like it's so in those cells that you, before you know it, it's, it's usually, it was a week or two weeks. Or, oh, yeah, that's right. That happened. Oh, sh- next time I'll get better. Then it turns into like after years, I think it goes down to like a couple of days. <laughs> then it goes into, oh, when you're in the moment, it might be like when you're like going for it, it's like five minutes. And then it's like, okay, yeah, I get that. And I think there's this real falsehood around this this spiritual community that, yeah, you've got to be really peaceful and this divine masculine man and it's <laughs> fucking bullshit. It's so <laughs> shit. I hate it. It's for me. It's knowing that we are men. We have anger. We have the ability to kill. We have rage in us. We have all the emotions. They're not good or bad. It's just avoiding conflict doesn't serve us in our life. Not setting boundaries doesn't serve us in our life. Those are the things where it's like, how do we use our words? How do we use our body to listen to our own intuition? We have four brains. Are we using all of them? You know? So then what? What do we do? And it's not that we're perfect. We're not perfect at it, but it's the practice. Yeah. Yeah, and when you lose sight and the busyness gets you too, the busyness of, you know, paying mortgages or paying rent um you know having a roof over your head feeding feeding your family you know all of those things trump doing your own personal work but it should be the other way around 
and recently I've got lost in that too. It's like, oh, I want to, I've got to be, provi- I've got to be a provider. That's, that's part of my masculinity and part, that's what I'm here to do. And it's like, well, no, actually you're here just to work on yourself. And whatever comes after that, it's probably a thing. But I've been in that thing of pleasing, you know, and part of that human design is to be, you know, I just want to please things to make people feel good and over committing and then, you know, under delivering. And that's sort of like, then my honours, you know, then I'm double arrowing myself where my honours, oh, I'm saying I'm going to do this, but I'm not doing that. Because and you're not trustworthy. Yeah. And it, it comes back to what you said before, intuition, because your intuition gets a hit first mm. and you, and it's just a no. <laughs> but then you say yes. <laughs> yeah. You say yes, because you then drop back into this victim and you say, well, I'm not good enough. So I've got to do this to be able to be loved. And it just it's just this merry-go-round or it's on that, you know, as you said, there's this triangle, the shadow aspect and the, the positive aspect of that shadow and it's and the negative aspect of that shadow. So I think just having a really good network and that's what I love what you do is, you know, creating, you know, uh, an infrastructure of men around you. It's so important and being really clear on what your boundaries are too because you can absorb a lot of shit in those in those groups as well oh absolutely or it's easy to feel like you're doing the work but you're actually just navel gazing <laughs> i've seen a lot of that and that gives me the absolute shits yeah. for, for me because that's the part of me that i'm afraid of i'm afraid of having the characteristic of laziness in myself i've seen that because that got modeled to me as a kid you know my dad's a beautiful man, but he goes, oh, I'm lazy, you know? And inside of that, it's not like he's lazy all the time. It's just he has a tendency, he he says, to, you know, want to chill more, you know? And it's like going that extra mile. And the part of me is like, oh, that's not a hill I want to die on. I, I don't want to die wishing I would have done more things, you yeah. know? And I definitely don't want to sit on my deathbed and go, geez, I wish I would have worked more. You know, because yeah. that's the easy thing to do. Uh, you know, listening to you talk about it is the, the part of me that talks about the natural order a lot. Yourself first, your partner second, your family third, and your work four. Not the other way around. Because yeah. so often for men, it's there's two ways it can go. Very often. Work comes first, workaholic, or partner comes first, the pleaser. And it's playing out of that somehow. Where it's like, if I, if I earn enough, I'll be loved. If I do enough, I'll be loved. Women usually do the caretaker, so they take their put their family first, then their partner, then their then their work or whatever it is, and then themselves. They give themselves the crumbs. Yeah, you know. And my teaching is all around getting people just to gently put themselves first over time, and it's fucking uncomfortable because <laughs> it's not taught well you got to look at yourself and sit with those parts of yourself that it's so uncomfortable it's like <laughs> it's like oh, i feel like such an asshole putting myself like that was me i put the club my club first all my athletes before everything else like tani would be like we need to do this and what about that and i'm like i can't i got to do all this other stuff first i wasn't even training yeah. i was i was working 120 hours a week just to, you know, Tony and I took home $900 a week, yeah, you know, and I was paying my staff more than I was individually getting, so to speak, you know, and it's, you get to that point where you're just pushing, working weekends for nothing, you know, that sort of thing. And eventually I 
burnt out. It was like not another drop I could give. Like I had an emotional breakdown. Yeah. Got to that point. And did I ask for help at the time? Fuck no. Because <laughs> I didn't know how to do that in a good way. No. You know, I couldn't be... I didn't know how to be vulnerable in the way that actually had me be helped. I more waited until I was bleeding out to go, hey, has anyone got a stitch? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Rather than, hey, I'm... Can you carry this water while I carry this or do that? Just didn't know how. Well, that industry is full of it too. You, you can see it in the jiu-jitsu community as well too. People start these the gyms like either a CrossFit gym or a, um, a jiu-jitsu gym because they've got this great passion for, or the love for the sport and then they open a community. They want to do it for the community and that's what they want to spend all their day doing. So they replace a job with this this of their love and then they ended up hating what they're doing because they've just burned out it's exactly what you've said it's the e-myth everyone's yep. <laughs> got to read that book and no one wants to because it's boring as batshit but it's the book that you know it's the book of basically you you love what you do or you think you're better than your boss at it because you do this one task and you have an entrepreneurial seizure they call it and like oh i can do this better and then realize you know six months into running your own business it's you have to do all the things and yeah. the one thing that you love doing you don't even get to do that much anymore yeah because there's so much other stuff to do yeah it becomes that then becomes the chore and then that's and that's what I, I see it all the time it's like these great ideas to manifesting into businesses and stuff like that and it's like well i've replaced this job with another full-on job that's i was trying to escape from this nine nine to five grind and it turns out to be this 24-hour grind <laughs> with yeah. with all this other stress that goes along with it and it just it, yeah I see it just own people and I think I think that's as a societal thing I think we've got to like you say we've got it all back to front and and not to mention working for someone else like I've got to say that in Australia it's literally the worst setup for an employee to work for someone else like Australia if you look at it with taxes and with you know how you can do your tax how you can do everything it's like it's pretty much set up that you you pretty much have to run your own business if you want to you know make enough for our cost of living plus everything else it works out so much better like i speak spoke to a few business guys recently and it's just the whole way it's set up not that you have to have employees and employ anyone but finding a way that you can scale your business in such a way that it's yourself and the few others because i watch it happen all the time as people they're at five people and they want to grow and grow and grow this exponential never-ending conquering of the hero complex yeah. <laughs> you know the immature masculine and it just flames yeah flames yeah i think that's where we've got the, the massive opportunity now and the big thing that's coming through for me especially in this space is the opportunity to to let go of the competition the competition mindset as well as there's not enough and i think there's just so much room for growth in in this area of, of men's work that I think you know we can all work together and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of space for people to support each other and I think there's still a lot of undeveloped or overdeveloped egos in this space as well um, and and I, I catch myself on judgment all the time as well too you know but I think that's what's reflecting back at me and where I'm at at that stage too so I guess, yeah, from what I'm seeing, it's like, oh, I think it's an opportunity now with so much change. And as you said, like, 
working this nine to five garb, if you earn a hundred thousand bucks, the tax man will take thirty. So you got seventy grand. So you got fifteen fifteen hundred bucks a week to live off. You take eight hundred bucks if you've got a family. Half of that's going towards rent, and then the other half will be food and living. Like, there's not. <laughs> it's not. A lot. It starts to go so quick, and then there's people you know on twenty five a year. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah it baffles me and it's and it's brutal for people you know and that part of the zero-sum game that i heard you to speak about is so true because it comes in competition when it comes to work it comes in love it comes in so many areas where it's if if you're winning somehow i'm losing that's so not the case i deal with this with open relating it's like oh if you're seeing someone else you must not love your wife. It's like, no, I absolutely adore my wife and she's not, she can't be everything for me. Yeah. You know, and that's why I go out and have other experiences with people, sexual or not, doesn't have to be, but it's understanding that just because you love your mum doesn't mean you love your dad less. Yeah. Love isn't a zero-sum game. So, Brad running an awesome podcast doesn't take away from my podcast. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, but so often, especially before men become vulnerable or start opening up their consciousness to this type of work, is that, or if you're doing, oh, if you're running a podcast, then fuck him. <laughs> you know? Well, that, that's, the, that's the industry I'm in at the moment. It's like everyone's competing. It's like, especially in sales, it's like, oh, it's probably what you went through at Wild Earth. Oh, we've got to get the best discount or the best service. And it's like, no, just be you. And, and I think, building relationships carries over to so many things find your niche yeah like we're not trying to be the when i worked at wild earth it was never about being the cheapest it was like best customer service we got 98 percent of the products that you want are all in the shop because it's part of the warehouse like that's something you can't do at a lot of places amount of times you walk into a shop and you go have you got that size large (laughs) they're like nah every size but the one you want right and that's see to me that makes the difference and that's your niche then yeah. Same for me with men's work. It's like studying somatic psychotherapy. That's the lens that I use. How does the body need to express? That's why I'm such a big one on speaking to the emotions. Yeah. Because the emotions is the cognitive understanding of what I'm feeling. But it's actually not what you're feeling. Yeah. yeah. And this is the experiential lessons and work that I like to do with men is don't tell me what your anger is show me show me your anger yeah because that's they're two wildly different things if i sat there and said brad i'm really sad i've been really sad for weeks now it's like cool have you cried no i can't do that but then if you cried for half an hour you'd probably feel better than talking about it for half an hour yeah yeah and it turns into and this i get guilty of this is turn to a book or work out another concept to go for another new concept and stuff like that and I think that's where the somatic work is incredible because it's just embodiment work, right? Um, and that's what I'm seeing as well too. And and the thing is, is what I'm realizing now is not to take that work back to your partner. And that's 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 the big, huge thing that it's a really interesting tra- trap that we can get into. And it's that vulnerability piece because that vulnerability word's then taken and then your partner goes, I want you to be more vulnerable at home. And it's like, 
now stepping back, it's like it's got to be a no because what you need from me is a sense of like almost a strength, uh, inner strength because I know that I don't need to purge my shit or spew my shit all over you because that's what if that's a vulnerability piece, I'm going to probably cry. I'm probably going to complain. I'm probably going to go, I fucking hate my job. I fucking hate the situation. And then it turns into he's never happy. But it's, well, you've asked for this vulnerability, but, and then I'm saying I'm not happy. You're not happy. You fucking hate it. And it's, it's all that thing. It's like, well, I'm just going to take that piece <laughs> and put it over there. Well, the, the side of that too then is, and this is what Tani and I deal with a lot, is am I listening? Am I holding space? Or do you need feedback? Because yeah. sometimes when I just want to have a big spew, it's, hey, babe, don't take any of this on, but I fucking hate you right now. <laughs> you're not meeting my needs. You're crossing my boundaries. I don't feel like you're your word. All this stuff, and I get to say it all. And then at the end, it's like, oh, thank you. And she goes, great, are you done? Is there anything more? Yeah, I got more. Here we go. <laughs> and then at the end of that, it's good. Where I fuck up at times as a man is if I'm holding space for my woman and she starts to complain about me for 20 minutes, I eventually start forgetting. My, my brain forgets and my ego jumps in the driver's seat and goes, fuck you. <laughs> and then it blows up and it's like, oh, I just spent 20 minutes and then I said one thing wrong and it doesn't work. And it's because right in that moment i'm actually just holding space with no judgment yeah. and for our partners say in that case it's like yes i want your vulnerability but i also need to then not make it mean anything about me when i'm holding that energy and that's why i'm studying this work that i do is how can i i explain hakomi like jedi level skills of holding space yeah right. that's what it is so it's how can you pour everything out of yourself so you can just be fully expressed while I witness that and we go to work on it together. We're both curiously engaged in finding out who's actually telling this story. Are you five years old when you're telling me this story? What's actually happening and what sensations, feelings are you having in your body right now as you speak to this? And we don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. So that's the beauty of it. Yeah, that's 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 great. Yeah, I was just it's just thinking. Just you just took me into some of the some of the arguments I've had too. It's like, oh yeah, it's like that nineteen and a half minutes. I was perfectly holding space, and that last uh, that last half a minute, I took it all personally. And it's like what I was saying before. Like, it's that sensations that are coming up that are buried deep in the in the cells, um, which the the Easterns call it the sankaras that. When you're in when you're in Vipassana, so you sit in. Have you done Vipassana? Not very close to getting there. But yeah, so Vipassana is um, a silent retreat, a silent meditation retreat where you basically sit all day. Um, you have your breaks and your lunches and stuff like that, but you um, you sit in the same place for the whole day in about hour and a half, two hour meditation blocks and you realize because you, you don't have any phones, you don't have any books, you don't have any TV, all you got to do is get up and meditate when the bell rings, um, eat when the bell rings and go to sleep when you're told to go to sleep. So it's it's an incredible experience because we don't get to experience that in, in this day and age at all, really. So it's just like when you're sitting there and I remember on the, like the, the last couple of days, 
I was burping so much and they talk about Sankaras. So there's all these things and I thought, oh, this is bullshit. He's, t- he's talking about these Sankaras that are de- buried deep in the cells. And I've gone, oh, yeah, righto, mate, righto. And then like the last couple of days, I was just like burping. I've gone, this is just random because all this stuff was just buried like deep. That's just all this, almost as black goo that's sitting all over the cells that was coming up. And it's super interesting that that's the stuff that when you're in those emotional states and you're trying to hold space and then something, it'll be one word or something and then it'll be triggered and then it'll be a cascade of emotions that the cells are then feeling and it's just like, boom, it's like turns into this, well, it wasn't about the 19 and a half minutes I held space for, it was about you reacted to something when I needed you to hold space. Yes. (laughs) How good's relationships? Yeah. I'm. I've learned so much inside of it. It's like you know, it's been a big teacher. Relationship for me has been a big teacher. Parenthood has been a big teacher. Like the, you know, oh, I need to, I need to know everything before I become a parent, or I need to be wise. And it's like my kid is the biggest teacher. Balin teaches me more than most people teach me because he doesn't give a fuck yeah. about people pleasing he's got really strong boundaries he's and he he knows how to call my word out whether if i can hold his word is a different thing yeah but he definitely makes me be my word and holds me to that you know and tani's the same there's no there's no wiggle room in there for flakiness or fluffiness so it's really been good for me to have those two in my life where it's speaking very like to the point clear boundaries all that sort of stuff you know the open relating piece jealousy that's like the number one thing for a lot of men it's the the thing that gets me too Uh, i've worked very hard on it over the years um it does come from a lot of mother wound stuff for me how does that how does have you ever had a jealousy issue like like fucking every day (laughs) i had one today so i use i try to use jealousy as a motivator so i i turn envy into motivation for me um how it's shown up for me in my relationship or my open relating is tani's been open relating relating with women for three years and in the beginning it was i would feel jealous that she would like a woman that that woman was somehow more manly than I was. Yeah, re- Ooh, you know, like yeah, like some something that they did was better than me. So I would be sitting in that discomfort of I'm, and all it's doing is just tapping me on the on the heart of I'm not good enough. You know, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna be abandoned. That's all it's doing, right? So, not that I am. I'm not abandoned. I'm good enough it's not even enough i am just who i am so it's not even a scale yeah and then just noticing that now how it triggers off in all different ways is how does that then is attention equals love and so if i don't get shown attention my drama queen her name's dixie (laughs) goes fucking bananas she goes crazy you know because she wants to have, she wants to be the center of attention. That little part in me that wants to b- b- have that. But Tani's, I'm everything to Tani, and I just 
fucking can't do it. That's just setting myself up for failure. Like human beings aren't even designed for monogamy. It was all put through the church to keep women as ownership so we could keep our land in the male lineage's name. So we would marry, definitely know our kids were our kids and then leave our property and belongings to those kids. That's how marriage came along and that's how the ownership came along. And so before that, if you look at the physiology, if you read Sex at Dawn, our physiology is all about polyamory. Look at the primates like bonobos and all those animals. They're all just like in a little tribe having a blast. Yeah, I've read that book too. Yeah. So Christopher Ryan. Um, So getting back to that is, am I jealous? Yes. Is Tani doing anything? No. It's actually just my stuff comes up. Yeah. You know, and now she's um, interested in dating men. And so that started to come up and that really brought shit up for me because it's like, oh, I'm going to get replaced. You know, what about this? What about that? We had a laugh about dick sizing and all (laughs) this sort of stuff because you're going to speak to it. It's going to like, I'm going to speak to it. I'm going to speak to it. And like all this random stuff pops up that's in a monogamous relationship you never even think about. Like how often are you jealous inside of your monogamous relationship? And to me, it's just another emotion that I need to understand and have a relationship with, you know? And this is why I bring my archetype of the drama queen is, is like my drama queen wants attention and wants all these things and can't handle jealousy. So when I'm jealous, it's more like, who am I right now? Mm. Because Lindsay, as Lindsay himself, is just him. What part of me is jealous and who am I in that moment? And then that teaches me so much. So I take it as like a learning opportunity because the last thing I want to do in my relationship is goes, I've got an issue and now it's your problem. Hmm. How does that go in relationship? Any of the listeners have that? (laughs) I'm sad. You fix it. Yeah. I'm unhappy. You make me happy. I haven't got this. Give me that. Yeah. That's um that's one for me too. That's the that's the I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. I think we all are to yeah. some degree. And I and I think it's that that for me it's that like I was talking about earlier is that outsourcing of that energy or for me it's that outsourcing of love. When I know when I'm super connected, present, grounded, all the words. When I'm when <laughs> <laughs> all the words that are bashed, right? But it's in like you're talking about earlier, it's embodied so you know there's a knowing inside of yourself when you're feeling that for me it's like deeply connected to nature in a lot of stillness where i do that um but when i've got that need and jealousy pops up for me it was in relationship for me when it was the two boys and what was the greatest teacher for me in that relationship was with um melissa and and her two boys is i would get jealous of those two in that relationship because that deep psycho uh, psychological wound for me um growing up where i didn't obviously unawares didn't feel that deep connection to my mother like that nurture that deep nurture and i'd watch melissa nurture the boys and it was just i'd never experienced it before and it was like little brad puts his hand up goes oh what about me yeah (laughs) and i go what about me where's me like where where's my like stroke on the back or touch on the head but why the fuck would she want to do that 
for me when I'm like she doesn't want another little boy and we'd we'd have these these discussions and she goes I don't need another little fucking child and I go oh that hurts yeah yeah that hurts but it's true it was true it was a hundred percent true and in sometimes sometimes just seeing that and going okay well that's that's my shit and that's that's something that deep within inside myself of a, like a 10 year old 14 year old boy that's really got to sit with himself and just you know create some space to actually go in and go mate it's okay and i've, I've been doing a bit of coaching lately of a, of a really good friend of mine and like doing a lot of breath work which is not everyone's doing breath work at the moment but just that one-on-one breath work where it's just like you just this beautiful container and you can just drop out and feel really really safe and yeah we just got back to some a, a, a scene with my father when he was being physically violent and it was just straight back to that moment mm-hmm. and i was i think i was 14 at the time and he was just like he had me he was joking me and i thought i was going to die right i was i was petrified i was so scared and that was a segue in my life but we'll get back to that and i was just i was sitting there and i and i traveled in like because obviously just dropped straight into that moment and i just sat beside and it wasn't a violent experience it was because i processed a lot of that shit and i was just sitting here with that boy in that moment and just felt completely loved like it chokes me up now but just i felt so much love in that moment and just love for my father love for myself and say man it's all right you know i've got you you're gonna get through this you know and it was it was beautiful because it almost heals that moment and it comes up, you know, oh fuck, why did he do this? Why did he and it's it's not up for me to actually have a deep understanding why. It's like it's it's not my thing to say. What my job is to reparent myself or re love myself in that moment and say, Hey, you know, your loves, you know, He's not doing this out of anything, but he doesn't love himself. He's never been taught how to love. He was an only child. And just all this all this vernacular was happening whilst I was in this beautiful experience with my father. And I've gone, oh, I just feel so much peace and love around that now mm-hmm. because I just, it's done, you know, like, and that segue from my life, that moment in that, on my life, it just changed my life, you know. I was gone from being bullied to bullying people to you know hanging around the wrong people because i had to prove i was tough Mm. i had to prove i was a fucking man Mm. or i wanted to get into every fight i wanted to and lost just as many as i won but just you know i had to prove i was violent because i wasn't soft and how many other people go through those experiences and keep on that trajectory of you know i just need to prove that i'm a tough guy Mm. and it was it was a deep deep experience because it was like oh i actually i'm actually okay i'll be okay (laughs) and even better than okay but it was all through the somatic awakening yeah that that i is so important to understand that it's not just breathing it's not just breath work it's not just talking about it for the sake of picking it open i think for many men it's i don't want to talk about that because it just hurts. Yeah. And they don't realize that the grief is medicine. The talking about it is cathartic. Mm. You're not alone inside of this. That other men have experienced it. And if you look at it 
and get the learnings and lessons out of it, it actually doesn't have to replay in your mind anymore. Yeah. Because for so many of us, our vivid, strong memories growing up are there for a reason. Keeps yeah. whatever story that you have about yourself alive. Yeah. And then we go through life really thinking that we've got it either sorted or we are, we know who we are. doesn't matter. I Someone said it the other day. They're like, oh, I, I see you like this. And I was like, fuck, all the work <laughs> I do... And I'm so like conscious of myself and like what's happening and what am I up to and how do I come across and like I spend most of my life just trying to not look like a big bad motherfucker, <laughs> you know, and then that's all I really get. on your head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then like I see myself as a big soft teddy bear and other people see me as this like giant badass and, and it's actually got nothing to do with me. How I'm perceived is... Brad's lens of his whole life's experiences reflected onto me. That's all it is. And so, you know, having that, what, you know, it doesn't even matter. So it's almost like no matter how much work we do, people are just still going to see you the same way as they've always seen you. Yeah, I had that that direct experience. I, I had a sabbatical for three years and, you know, I was doing all the usual things an unaware person would be doing, you know, doing cocaine and, you know, drinking and, and sleeping around and doing all these stupid things um, at the time. And I had this, you know, sabbatical for three years and travelled around the world and, you know, put my hands on Uluru and just said, show me the way, I'm completely lost. And then this went on this, like, vortex of experiences for, for a number of years and then... I got back and I had the long beard and the, the top knot and I, <laughs> I've done all this work and spent some time with these people and have had all these experiences and come back cruising to the Gold Coast and we'd sit in front of people and they'd still had the same projection of me and I'd, I'd be offended. It's like, I'm not that... And I'd have to say, I'm not that person anymore. It's like, <laughs> but you are, you're Brad. Yeah, yeah. You know? But they, they're, 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 their neur- neurosis doesn't want is so attached to their ego that it doesn't want to place you any different because it then will show that this reality is not real mm. and that will crumble. And this is what's experience, what we're experiencing right now is the illusion or the veils just been dropped a little bit and, and everyone's got a taste of it and everyone's going, oh, no, that's, that's not what my perceptions have been for the last 40, 50, 60 years of my life and it hurts too much that... My whole life's been a complete lie and I've been lied to. That's a huge thing for people to um, awaken to. And that's all I see it at the moment. And that's what where, you know, I feel for me is like, oh, I've done this work. Like you're saying, I've done this and I've done that. And why don't you see me this way? You know, this is how I'm presenting right now. And it's, that's my shit. That's me trying to put another persona on or another mask on on who I should be perceived as, which is bullshit. Like, I'm just... Because I could turn up in 50 different brads in that moment. I could have just had a massive argument. I could have just made love. I could, you know, so... I, I, or I could have just been having all these amazing experiences at jiu-jitsu and choking everyone. All the white belts, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> None of the higher belts. But, you, you know, like, those are the experiences and... We go to jiu-jitsu and I, I, I guarantee you, you've probably had the same experiences. Like, 
and I was speaking to a couple of people at Jiu-Jitsu, and they say, oh, you and Lindsay do that uh, men's work stuff. And it's like they're really they're curious, but they're going, oh, these guys are a little bit weird. And it's and, and it's so like that. They don't want to be, they don't to be, their perceptions to be crushed in any way because it's like, fuck. Safety. Yes. They're safe where they are. It's like that deeper inner knowing of, this is the this is the edge of where I feel comfortable. It's the oh, fuck. I hate to use this, but it's so the truth is, it's the white picket fence that people put their life inside of. Like, oh, I've got it sorted. That's why I realize for so many people when they have one of their highest values be safety, it's nothing's coming in that's new because anything new is not safe. It's like people that don't learn or read after going to school. They finish school and they're like, good, learning's over. I'm just doing this, which is survival. They're not trying to thrive. They're just, I just need to earn this much, go to work this much, and then on the weekends, I'm going to drink this, and then I'm going to do that, and I've got the school thing, and that's it, you know? Kids, my wife and I have sex like this every time, and, you know, we we do it once a week on a Saturday night, and... (laughs) It's Sunday, we haven't had sex, what's wrong, darling? (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, and the list goes on and, oh, did you see Barry? He got a new car and, you know, we should do the same. And are we going to go to the same holiday joint this year? And Some people want to live like that, you know. They, they, they thrive off knowing everything inside of their life where they, they're not leaning into their edge. And you and I both know what it's like of this work is all around. Where the fuck is my edge? And... If I feel stagnant in an area, I'm going to look at it because mm. it's like I have an exponential growth. Like I want growth. My values are freedom, adventure, growth, those sorts of things. So I want to see myself, you know, extend out into the world. And when I speak to guys at jujitsu, it's a bit the same of you might say something and they kind of look like, <laughs> what did you just say? And you know, And they're usually liberal thinkers too, the jujitsu mob. Yeah, or, or they think they are. Yeah. You know, and then there's, like, I meet people like that where I'm like, whoa, you are esoteric, man. Like, <laughs> where have you been? And that makes me feel really vanilla at times too. And it's just like, oh, I'm just where I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm right where I am on the, on the thing. Like, that was me growing up. I feel like I've had a really wild, diverse upbringing. And then 15 years into monogamy... Tani meets a woman, falls in love and goes, let's open our marriage. And I'm like, you can do it another way? Because <laughs> that's all yeah. I thought. Like media just says, you get it, you get married, you have the one. It's this fucking bullshit story about the one. And guys in my men's group ask me all the time, oh, I'm not sure if she's the one. The one is whatever you want to make it. Yeah, She's the one right now. Yeah, the one doesn't exist. The one definitely doesn't exist, man. Yeah, and that's uh, that's <laughs> yeah, and I think because we 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 believe in this this story of the one, where I, I think it's we're putting it outside of ourselves. There's only the one that's that's us relating back to everything. Mm. Everything else is just in relationship to that one, and that's a that's a, an interesting piece, and the safety piece as well as as men like we get tricked into this safety thing it's like and i know recently it's like i had to go back to work for 18 months and it was a choice i made and i knew after the three years i had off 
taken a sabbatical, I just said, I'm just fucking, I, I wrote a poem called Another Man's Slave. And I, I totally, as an integrity, I've, I'm going against what I've written. Mm. Like completely, I said, I will never go back. So there's a little piece in me that's dying every day that I've got to rock up because I'm saying I'm out of integrity, not to anyone else, I probably am, but to myself. Mm. And that's the only one that matters at the end of the day. It's like, well, if you're out of integrity to yourself, good luck trying to have integrity to anyone else. And actually just being stuck, I think we're semi-nomadic beings. And if it gets back to what you were saying before about in relationship, you, you know, that, that would lend well to what's written in the book as well like you know it, in tribes there was a lot of tribes in that book that you know they didn't even know who the dad was because it, it wasn't it wasn't a necessary thing and these are indigenous tribes saying that who, who's the dad no one knows everyone takes and everyone's an auntie and everyone's an uncle and it's like everyone's a dad and i've had hundreds of dads yeah because they're all my teacher yeah they're the coaches they're yeah. the, the the school teachers they're yeah. Some of the men, some of the women, like some of the some of the women I've met have been the best dads I could ask for. Yeah, you know, because of their, it's the teacher, and to me that rings true with the safety officer. That thing around safety is the thing in us that is developed early on in our magician archetype, which is the spidey senses safety officer in our life. Yeah, you know, and then it comes back to our fathers being the, the coaches for us, the mentors. And that's why we look for mentors in our lives as men is to grow. And yeah. I want to be called forward. But so often the, the coaching and the mentoring that we experience in the work environment these days is, I know more than you, so you should look up to me version. Yeah. Or I know everything and you're stupid. Yeah. So I'm going to treat you as such until you're as good as I am. And then I'm going to retire and then you're going to replace me and then you're going to keep that thing going where, oh, we pick on the apprentices, especially in construction. Yeah, These yeah. poor young boys come in that have no confidence because, well, they some of them do, but just say they don't, is it's an intimidating environment, the language, the, the mentality and the competitiveness and what's going to happen to those men. Yeah. You know, that's the part of me that makes me feel really sad. I went back to construction a few years ago um, and my first day, I was so nervous. <laughs> I've done years of personal development. I'm initiated into what, like, you know, into, um, I've done rites of passage work. I've trained in jujitsu, all of it. And I had butterflies, man, because yeah. it's like, I know what this is like. It felt like I haven't been to prison, but it was like I was stepping foot into a prison. It was yeah. like, oh, I don't feel safe here at all. No. And this is like, and I'm just trying to do a job, let alone anything else. Yeah, that, that level of intimidation that goes on, and that's just coming from a place of fear. You know, like the, that whole job, that job site thing, and especially being in sales, when you walk onto a job site, right, you're going into, you're going into the office, you're going, sometimes if you've got to do a cold call, you've got to find out some information. And it's like, oh, sometimes and some days you just don't want to go there. Mm. If you're not feeling 100, but that's when that's your edge, right? That's like every day. You don't have to be at a, you know, initiation ceremony. Like every day just pushing up to the edge going, oh, and every time that I go, I don't really want to go in. And then you go in and then you have this experience and then something really amazing happens. It's, it's the time that you stop in life, not pushing up to those edges. Um, 
you then don't see what's on the other side of that. And that's, I guess that's just what life is. That's Life's on the other side of fear. Yeah, yeah, that's been bashed a fair bit. <laughs> that's probably where I got it from. We could just we could just sit here and talk about a whole bunch of puns and a whole bunch of st- like, yeah, the sayings that we use or metaphors that we have. But I think it's so true of, yeah, leaning in and finding out what's on the other side is usually the parts of ourselves that we've always wanted to see and know about ourselves because we have that. Like my thing with that is we have everything we need inside of us. We just need to keep looking in. And that's what you said about love, like not outsourcing that or looking for that outside of ourselves. It's taking personal responsibility, personal discipline, all those characteristics and going, how can I love myself so much that I can show up in a relationship, you know? Because that's what I'm doing currently with Tani. This is the work that I'm doing now is it's my responsibility to love myself. Like I even struggle with self-pleasure. I, I'm so outsourced to having a partner yeah. that's self-pleasuring. And I'm not talking... Sorry, listeners. I'm not talking about jerking off, by the way. I mean, just like loving on myself is like, how do I do that? Because that's so often the case. I reach for Tani for mm. the interaction because that's what I'm used to. But when it comes just to me, I feel like my body is like not even there. I'm like, I need the other person to engage with to feel that. And so now it's learning... How can I explore and love on myself in a way that's pleasurable without my cock to express, feel and get back into my lover archetype and my lover self so I can become more creative? That's a huge piece that's shown up for me this week. There's, uh, someone posted something this week and it fucking hit me like a ton of bricks. Went, oh, that's that's exactly what you just said is like holding space for yourself because that's what it is, right? It's this masculine part of you holding space for, for 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 you, right? And we outsource that. Oh, I've got to get that hit, but you've got to give that feminine aspect to you, or that that self nurture, or that self love, self pleasure to yourself. And I'll do an example: is you know, I always used to go and buy massages for Melissa and chat and do all that, and I never used to do it for myself, like. <laughs> It's like, nah, can't do that. I'm busy. Or And it's like, oh, it hit me this week. It's like, oh, you actually... And Melissa used to say this all the time. She goes, just look after yourself. But I actually wasn't holding any space for myself to self-pleasure. And that's all it is. It's because, like you said, it's like either jerking off or, you know, holding space for someone else to get something. And that's what I was doing is, okay, here's something for you so I can get it back. And then that's my feed. Oh, thank you. I've got another hit that another couple of weeks and that same thing will happen again. It's like, no, I've got to do that for myself. Yeah, absolutely. You're number one. You're the most important person in the relationship. This is what I try and explain to men too. It's like you are actually number one because there's you, me, us in any relationship. Yep. And it's no different from any of them. So it's like, oh, I actually have to do my stuff. That'd be like going into a business getting a client and doing their taxes for them. Yeah. Because somehow that makes my taxes worked. And it doesn't, you know. It's like that actually has nothing to do with you. It's lovely and great. You can do that. But I'm always looking at how I can fill my cup so it overflows into other people's cups, not me pouring from my cup anymore. I don't pour from my cup. I I want my cup to overflow into other people's cups. That's That's the mentality for myself. And... How do we do that? One of the biggest things and pleasurable things for me is just going out into nature. Mm. 
you know, it's like it's such a teacher. This is why I'm currently working on plans for next year to run vision quests on my property here in Bonogan. And I'm going to put it out pretty soon just to open up some spaces where men can come and do three days and three nights here in the bush. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, and what I find inside of that is it hits so many things. It's no screen times, no talking, your own inner dialogue to chat with for three days and three nights, no food to distract, no writing, nothing, just you having your own subtlety come out of yourself it's like getting the last couple of drops out of yourself that you don't never open up those doors into your own heart or life or sex or whatever it is to know that you have your own intrinsic wisdom like Mm. for so often if i sit long enough or you sit long enough in breath work what's going to show up yeah and we live in a world now that's you know 50 percent of our waking time is on the screen yeah yeah, I've, I've noticed a lot, you know, when you get that notification on a Sunday <laughs> and it's ping, it's from, it's from, um, yeah, phone from Apple saying, oh, you've had, you've had an average of six hours and 57 minutes on your phone every day. It's like, fuck, that's a full-time job. My, my phone is a full-time job. And, you know, some, a lot of the time I'm on YouTube looking up stuff or, but there's a lot of that six hours and 57 minutes. So it's just shit. Mm-hmm. Like it really is. But, and that's, that's what I love about those vision quests or the passioners where, and the retreats that I was co-facilitating last year is like, you put your phone down, you put your, you know, every distraction and create a space where there's rituals and stuff like that to drop out of that reality, to actually create a container for people then to just like either experience what they've got to experience and just... And then nature just holds that, right? Mm. Yeah, the nature is the thing that facilitates that. It's not you. And this is, I see often the trap is people believe that the facilitation is is the thing. (laughs) God complex. (laughs) I know everything. I beat this drum and I use this didgeridoo and... uh, Yes, and I've got them to breathe a specific way. No, dickhead. It's it's nature's holding this because you've created and co-facilitated with nature this facilitation and mate it happens every time you go out into the middle of the country and there's so much expansion of space that you feel everything like because there's no um interference with people places you know and all these phones and stuff none of that's there so you've got a direct relationship with nature that doesn't have any interference and that's what those vision quests are and there's a reason why they like a right to passage initiation thing because they work, you know, and you get to meet the maker, right? Like you get to meet the dark places of you that are suppressed for such a very long time that in this reality, they are masked with Lindsay's a house owner with a business and his phone's ringing for 10 hours a day. Like, man, you're not going to meet the spaces in you that you need to meet. Mm. I, and yeah, and ultimately, I'm not that person. It's like, you're not your job. No. Then you're not the thing that you think you are. You know, the biggest takeaway I got out from running, the going and doing a solo early in the year is, not that I am a part of nature, I fucking am nature. Yeah, 100%. I had this profound moment of just, I'm in this bush, watching the kookaburras fly tree to tree, just for hours, 
And then, like, just the way the wind would blow through the trees, I could hear it. My sound perception went right up. I could hear how the wind started rustling through the trees as it came past, like a like a ball, you know, not like a huge wall, but just one part. And then how the light would come through or whatever it was. And I was like, I'm getting goosebumps right now. I was like, I am this, yeah. you know, all of this is in me and all of me is in all of this. Like I'm sitting on the grandfather's decomposed in this land right now. Like yeah. just mind blowing. And I'm like, I haven't done anything. There's this thing that I need to do something yeah. or plug in. Like I did my Gallup strength test with Alex Kenny, mate of mine, and my highest value is input. So I, I like to learn. I like to input things into me. And so I'm always reading. I'm always consuming mm. and the, no consumption. So I wasn't consuming anything out there. So if it's almost like a an information fast. And I love yeah. fasting, so it was great. But that's the reality that's where i got to i was like fuck this is so profound if i own this piece of land 15 minutes from burley heads i should be getting people out here on a regular basis because it's again it's not me i'm not the fucking king that knows everything it's like go out there and have your own experience yeah and that was and something magical happens on three days third to fourth day i'm sure there's some science behind it and there's, there's a deeper meaning behind it um, but it was like that on for passion on, on day three, oh, my hips and knees were just in so much pain and I probably tried about a thousand different pillow makeup configurations, configurations yeah. to, to sit in for passion. If you listen, and if some of your listeners have done for passion, they'll know, right. They'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And you're sitting there after day three and I had like, had these magical moments and it's the aversions and attachments, right? And I had this beautiful experience and then I just I floated back into meditation. I've gone, yeah, I'm just going to have this most ex- amazing experience. The last one was incredible. I'm going to get another good one. And it was like, I was thinking compound interest, right? And then oh, this pain started like in my knees and then it was my hips. And I was just, by the end of this meditation, I went for about an hour and a half. I was sitting there and I was just, I had tears rolling down my eyes and I was pretty close to where the door was to exit. And that's where I was, I was based. I think it was 11D where my seat was. And um, I, everyone walked out because the men are separated from one side and the women are on the other side. And all the guys walked, walked out, got up, walked out, and you can't look at anyone in the eyes. And, mate, I fucking walked out my hands and knees out of that door. <laughs> and it, I swear people would have been looking at me. And I, I got to my shoes and this little, was one random ant, man. It was just walking slowly. And I just, I was just staring at this ant. The dark, I could remember so vividly this experience was, was the sun was starting to go down. And this is up at Noosa um, on the Sunshine Coast. And it was just beautiful, man. It was just exactly the same experience. I just went, oh, like I'm that ant. And I'm expressing everything that's happening in this moment. And I just felt so fucking peaceful. I just started crying. I don't know if I was crying, but just steam streams were coming out my eyes. And I just, I probably looked like an absolute retard, but I put me um, Ugg boots back on and, and just slipped back in, had to go to dinner. But I think it took me about 20 minutes to walk down to dinner. But that whole experience was just, oh, it was just so random. And just making sure I wasn't attached to that moment, but not also 
you know, having any aversions. No, I don't want to have that experience of the soreness. And once you let go of actually relating to that pain and, and letting go of that pain actually existing, it just, everything just opened up and I just popped. And that's those experiences after three days or those initiation processes. As a, as a man, you've rights of passage, you've got to have them. They got they're so important, and that's one thing as a society and a, and a culture here in Australia with a lack of culture probably is probably the right word is is something that we need more of. Yeah, because for so many men, what is a rites of passage for me? Becoming a man was being a dad at twenty one, um, getting my license, going to the pub is a rites of passage in Australia. Um, how quickly can you drink one carton of beer (laughs) is like, you know, a challenge or how much drugs can you take or how fast can you drive around that corner? You know, how many women can you sleep with or Mm. whatever this rites of passage is that we have or do. My thought around it is we have school and school just puts us into an unnatural environment of everyone being the same age. So, you know, when I'm 14, I just hang around 14 year olds all day. And that's not how we work in a culture. A 14-year-old hangs around a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, 40-year-old, an 80-year-old, a 6-year-old, a 3-year-old, all at the same time yeah. and do things together. That's the continual mentorship, yeah. you know? Lack of male um, teachers these days. People are lucky to have one to two teachers going through school and high school. It's very low. I remember Balin being at um, Burley Primary School the only male teacher wasn't a teacher. It was just the principal. Everyone else was female in the entire place. Not to say it's bad, but just to notice. You know, people harp about toxic masculinity. It's just a lack of max masculinity. Yeah. That's all. A lack of taking people through the rites of passage. Yeah, I still remember my... The only teacher that I remember growing up um, was... I went to Canindrabar. I went to Burley State School as well and Canindrabar. And here on the Gold Coast, and I remember Mr. Hart, man, that guy in grade, I think it was grade six or seven, he was incredible. I still remember to this day that that man had so much influence on me as like, and that's when he was, I remember him doing Supermans over my head and stuff like that, being really playful. They probably wouldn't be able to get away with that. You probably, as a male teacher, you probably couldn't put your hands on a as a as a young kid in grade seven and i still remember that like that experience with that man was huge and that's what got me into men's work because the lack of good male role models in my life was that they were non-existent and it's just so much pressure on your father to 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 hold that man like hold that thing it's it's not like you said like your father um there's a psychological piece where your job psychologically is to overthrow your father it's it's an imprint in us and the father's psychological thing is he's hanging on to that fucking kingdom as long as he possibly can so that's a natural that's 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 in every every father and son and there's a lot of cultures around the world which you know even when the son gets to an age and he has a wife or two wives or children his father if he's still alive still is the king of the kingdom it's like you've actually got to move away as a young man uh, or as a as a and create your own kingdoms and i think that's lost as well too i think um the mentorship is important too um 
and I just had one recently on Sunday and I was super flat and my intuition picked up that one of my mentors was going to call me and he called me he was in the cave because oh, I just had a feeling to call you and I just went of course you did and I told him I said oh, I was going for a walk today and I was thinking about you and um, he goes you're special man and I went thank you like that receiving of love that feminine thing for me just like there's a little thing going you're not good enough and it's like and I went oh, I had to say it again I said no nah, thank you John that, that's that's huge piece for me and to actually just receive love and that's something I'm not good at is receiving love because I don't think I'm good enough to receive that love and receiving it from a man yeah 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 that's that, that even just now just talking about it just the feeling inside of me going oh that's fucking that that sits on my chest and it feels uncomfortable um so that means i've got to lean into that and that's the thing like for another man that's been through a lot of things and he's in his 60s and just to say that you're a special man and you you could just feel it like it come from a depth of him that wasn't from his mind or ego or something he felt like he said and it was just like yeah man like for someone to say that you're special it's it's a huge piece Mm. So yeah, just to receive it, it gets me. <laughs> it gets me. good. Yeah, I want that. Like I want men to have that experience of themselves, and also to notice what's the story, because mm. so often it's we push away what we really want. For me, I'm recovering from masochism. So masochism is like basically denial. It's self-deprecating. So if someone gives me a compliment, I internally either reject it or I try and give a compliment back because I can't actually deal with the acknowledgement. All these things that I would do because deep down it's what I really want. Dixie mm. loves compliments, <laughs> yeah. right? But there's a part of me that like also then rejects it because my story is if I have the if my if imagine listeners if you have a cup and your cup is I'm not good enough and someone goes to pour into that cup. Have a look at the bottom of that cup. It's got holes in it. Because you don't actually want that cup to get, ever get full and you can't receive it. So, you know, if someone goes, oh, you're awesome, it goes into the I'm not good enough cup. It's got holes in it. It just fucking empties out every time. It's like, it's almost a throwaway thing. This mm. is a part of Tani's learning around me and being in relationship is it's not Tani's responsibility to make me happy because she can't. doesn't matter what she does. Yeah. I, re- I subconsciously, not knowing for years rejected all of her support because you know i'm not giving it to myself yeah. it's my job to hold all the plug up all the holes in my cups so because you know my cup's actually just a strainer looks like a sieve yeah. you know and it's and it's having that so for you having a mentor like we all need is who do we need who do we reach out to who do we find for us that's a suit for us is to start you know, and each man that you meet or each leader or, or mentor that you have will teach you something different about yourself. And you might not need one for your whole life. It could be multiple. It's the yeah. same with work. I was thinking about it when you're talking about it before is in our culture these days, it's changed a lot that it's fine to change your career. It's fine to break up in a relationship. You don't have to finish school, go to uni, get a career, get married, have kids, buy a house die so you can do it however you want it's really up to you so how do you want to live yeah it's a it's a big thing isn't it like we get 
The only thing that's trapping us is our mind. Yeah, we are our biggest obstacle. Yeah, there's a big thing that um, that I learnt with um, some mentors that we had, uh, Melissa and I, uh, with some breath workers, a lady called Sondra Ray. Um, she worked with Leonard Orr in the, the rebirthing space back in the 70s and they come up with a thing called the personal lie and mm. that's the, there's, a, there's about a hundred of them, right? And it's all around, I'm not good enough, you know, I'm not loved, I'm not lovable, you know. Something's wrong with me. Yes. Yeah, whatever whatever personal statement that you have about yourself. And it's replayed unconsciously over and over and then and that that something that sort of stays with you. And we did a process last year, oh, this year actually, we did a process around it at a, at a men's workshop and it was really cool. It's like... Um, went through there's five questions in this personal life process and then you basically have to pick up a rock right that rec- that resembles your personal lie and it's like carry that around for three days and it's an invitation to carry that rock around with you it's an invitation so it's like okay and seeing what some of these dudes did and what size fucking rock they picked up um it was some of them just went, oh, I'm going to pick up the biggest motherfucking rock and they didn't know they were going to have it for three days, right? <laughs> and oh, I love it. Every Everything that we went to, we invited them to bring the rock. So some of them, and you had to uh, do some artwork on it and stuff like that. But the beautiful thing about it was, man, like some of these dudes are carrying these fucking rocks around for like a long time. And yeah, and some guys got small rocks some guys have got big rocks but yeah it's like what are we carrying around I, I guess what masks are we wearing yep what are what what carnage what what damage what disbelief what untruths what are we like creating and 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 carrying in our lives into the next relationship into the next business it's like oh we think oh yeah i've learned from this no you've just gained more baggage mm. so often it's like cutting it off how do i stop that i don't know how no one's shown me how who showed me how to grieve who showed me all these things to do who sh- who told me i wasn't good enough what what instance was it can i go back there in my mind and and heal that part of myself is huge and so we've got a couple more minutes man Balin's going to call me pretty soon to get him picked up from school. So I think that's a beautiful crescendo to end on. <laughs> you just nailed it. <laughs> totally. Oh, we could chat for hours, man. I'm yeah. definitely keen to have you back on and chat anytime. Some of the points that we had today, I don't know if we quite hit, but it doesn't matter. It was all perfect and beautiful. Yep. What is currently happening in your world right now? Um, transition is, is the number one thing for me and just being... Um, sort of getting rid of a lot of external stuff in my life, distractions and really just going in. Um, and that's probably going to result in a trip down to Tasmania and immerse myself. But due, due to the current climate, um, I just got to see how I can get down there um, and just be in nature. And um, I think the thing is, instead of consuming, creating. It's the number one thing. Yeah. And lastly then, what is a man on a mission to you? Oh, that's a good question. It's a very good question. I'll start with that. It's it's about being on purpose to me. Divinely being in purpose to, to what you are. Um and just doing the work. 
just leaning in. That's that's a man on a mission, leaning in. Love that, brother. So good to chat with you, man. Awesome. Really good. All right, listeners, thank you so much. See you all next time. Goodbye.